Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. The SpawnFest winners were announced, and the big winner goes to Bakeware for the overall winner. There's a number of different winners in different categories. There's a great list to check out on the website where they go through and talk about each one and what's unique and special about them. Bakeware in particular seemed to be like a, a crowd favorite because it extends mixed releases with the ability to turn Elixir projects into single binaries that can be copied and directly run. No need to install Erlang or Untar files. And the binaries look and feel like the build products from other languages like Go. And since this has happened, I've seen some other people putting out uh, blog posts about how they're using Bakeware to take a live view application and turn it into a single binary. So I thought that was pretty cool. I also just wanted to mention that the ex-AWS maintainer Ben Wilson decided to step back and in his place, Bernard has taken over and will be doing all of the maintenance of ex-AWS from now on. The Little Ecto Cookbook was updated. Um, if you haven't heard of this, the Little Ecto Cookbook is a free PDF resource on Ecto. Uh, it was really helpful when I was start getting started with Ecto. Uh, it's been updated to include new information about Ecto 3.5 uh, and specifically includes a new chapter on multi-tenancy with foreign keys. Uh, so good use case there. Uh, check it out. That's a great little free PDF. I'm really glad that Dashbit, um, Platform and Tech Before Them, put that out. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, that was one I had uh, used before as well. They're pretty good about keeping it updated with significant changes as they happen. Great resource. In other news, the Prague Prague publishers released a new book titled Genetic Algorithms in Elixir. So tweet us if you've read it and let us know how it is. And last in the news, Credo version 1.5, uh, maybe the last release candidate. It's, it's in the final RC release. Uh, look for the new official release coming soon. I'm excited about it. And that's it for the news. Today, we are reaching outside of our normal Elixir community, and we invited Caleb Porzio to come visit with us. Caleb created Alpine.js, which people have been using with a lot of success with their Phoenix applications. And another topic Caleb has gotten a lot of attention for is going full-time sponsored for his open source development work. He did this quite publicly as well. Additionally, Caleb has created a PHP framework inspired by Phoenix LiveView called Laravel LiveWire. So we are happy to have him here and share his experiences and perspectives. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped to be here. So Caleb, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you live and what kind of work you're doing? I hail from Buffalo, New York, born, raised, and currently living not far from Niagara Falls. And I'm a developer. I work for myself, like you said, so I don't have a real job, which is a dream come true. But yeah, I like making things on the internet and also off. Um, yeah, that's my gist. Right. So maybe first we can jump in and talk about Livewire. I think that's a good place for where we can set the stage. First, maybe you can kind of tell people in the Elixir space who might not have heard the term. Uh, I know there are a number of people who, when they, they have mentioned it, like, hey, you know, LiveView is a lot like LiveWire. So maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of an introduction to what LiveWire is. I hear around people say it's a LiveView clone. That is not true, but that is actually a decent way of understanding the core of it. I quit my job about a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half, and I just needed a break from employment, basically. And two days after I quit, I saw that that blog post by Chris McCord announcing LiveView, and that had that little thermostat, you know, and the clicking and whatnot. 
And I just looked through the first, you know, half of it and I fell in love. So I had already been kind of building apps like this. I started out in like jQuery and, you know, really like JavaScript sprinkles, but mostly server-side PHP for me, CodeIgniter at the time. And yeah, and then eventually kind of, you know, grew into the the front-end frameworks and started using Vue. Almost my entire front-ends were in Vue, like SPAs, and and my back-ends were just like, you know, JSON APIs. And then I started stepping down from that and redeeming some of the value of the old ways. And I started doing weird things that I thought were totally weird that uh, seemed crazy to me, like instead of fetching JSON, fetch pre-rendered HTML, like on hover, fetch a chunk of HTML. Then I saw that GitHub does this all over the place. Then I quit. Then I saw LiveView and I went, this is like, this is it. This is the, the realization of this concept in its fullest form, you know? So I, I made a, a proof of concept like that night and tweeted out this little proof of concept video. I did my own little thermostat. And basically from that day forward, I never stopped working on it and never got a real job. And uh, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how li- it's since morphed in so many ways. Basically, I didn't really go off of live view more than that blog post, essentially. But the core concept is the same. The core, we, I, we both use MorphDOM. That's a commonality code wise, but I don't think there's anything else. And there are specific differences. But yeah, that's my best way of sort of describing liveware on a broad, in a broad way. So one of the things I saw, like when you're talking about this first proof of concept that you wrote, I watched the video that you shared with that. And your first proof of concept was built using WebSockets. Yeah. And I was curious about hearing, because I know that if you look at LiveWire today, it's not using WebSockets. Uh, What happened there? Yeah. So I'll say that it's really important that LiveWire doesn't use WebSockets. It's probably the biggest shift and has spawned all these other differences between LiveView and LiveWire. And I'm 100% sure LiveWire would be nothing if it still used WebSockets. And here's why. Because WebSockets and PHP just aren't what they are in Elixir. They're just not. And they're difficult to deal with. There's not a lot of infrastructure around them. PHP is a share-nothing architecture by nature. So kind of turning it into that model of a persistent backend process that responds to WebSockets and concurrent connections. Basically, concurrency in PHP is not first class, you know? But I started that way because that that was just sort of the mental space was like, oh, well, you need WebSockets because you have this live thing on the server. It has to be living. It has to live in a runtime. So I used WebSockets for a long time. But for local development, I made uh, an Ajax driver that you could just swap out and so just so that I didn't have to do all the WebSocket stuff locally, which I forget, why did that even work? Because I, I don't know, whatever. At some point I made that <laughs> and I, the creator of Laravel, um, I showed, I showed it to him and he's like, why not just use Ajax? And, and I said, I don't know. I just feel like it's too slow or something. He's like, it's good enough for GitHub. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And then I met with another Laravel contributor who's uh, involved in Symfony. I don't know if you ever heard of Symfony. It's a, it's a big PHP framework. And he's really involved in the Symfony community. And basically, he gave me some sobering words. I did a user test with him. And this is maybe like two months into the project or three months or something. I did a user test and he said, oh, and also drop WebSockets completely. And to me, this is like earth shattering. Like, wait a minute. This is the core thing. This is like, I get to say that it's a wet live WebSocket reactivity, you know? He's like, no one will use it. It will only be for pet projects. No one will trust their production PHP apps with the shaky, you know, WebSocket infrastructure that you either hack together or you use some open source hacked thing. 
it's just too complex and whatever. And so uh, I heard that and I made the leap and never looked back. That's how it happened. But you say never look back as in like you're glad to have left WebSockets back back there. Yes. I think it would be rad to use WebSockets now at yeah. somehow and to like bring it back and offer WebSockets for really what I would love to do is after LiveWire becomes big enough and is funded well enough to create real infrastructure for something like that, because of course the speed is, you know, undeniably better and all the benefits of that concurrency. But I think uh, never looked back, meaning we've kind of engineered LiveWire around the AJAX request as a constraint. And some cool things have come out of that, Alpine being one of them, a bunch of other little cool things that I'm kind of happy with the direction it's taken because it, it really has taken a fundamental conceptual shift from when I started as like a LiveView clone to where it is now, which, you know, we can get into some of the specifics of that. But yeah, that's what I mean by never looked back. So one of the things I think is interesting is there is a lot of similarity still in the approach that you have now with uh, with live wire with what you see with live view and some yeah. of those values that I think people that we have in common still are some of the business value that people can get from that and when I say business value I mean I, I think of you know how much easier it is to test like testing the front end behaviors and how much easier it is that one developer can deploy something front to back that's responsive much better than like, you know, building a spa where I have to then have this additional layer of serialization, like that I have to custom write how to serialize data coming down to the front end and then from the front end, but going back up. And so that I see you're still getting a lot of the business value. And I'm just curious, like, what your experience has been with that, especially with people that you work with and, and the excitement that they're having around what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, is, uh, it is definitely right up that alley with LiveView. All of the business value of LiveView is the same as LiveWire because they share those core fundamental concepts. And yeah, I guess so. It started out as an unpopular project. One thing I didn't... I didn't so LiveView is pretty first party. You know, like it's it's Elixir first party. Chris made it, and Jose he's worked on it a lot, right? Where my little thing, you know, I'm 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 I wasn't a nobody, but I wasn't, you know, I don't know, I wasn't. I'm not Taylor, the creator of Laravel, and the creator of Laravel, Taylor, also isn't working closely with the creator of PHP or Symphony, you know. So it's not this down the line thing. Um, anyway, I say that to say that it was a controversial tool. Well, first it was like a cool, like experiment, you know, the proof of concept took pretty well and people were really interested in, well, this is crazy. But I think everybody thought it was a cool experiment that they would never use themselves for like a year, um, <laughs> for a long time, because it's such a different paradigm. And the norm is view SPAs, basically, in the, in the Laravel community, that's essentially the norm or SPA type hybrids, you know? Yeah, so it was a really controversial tool. And so it felt like a bit of an uphill climb. But so I say all that to say that the value proposition is it took a little while to form. And also, I've been touting that value proposition before live, live view as well. I did a conference talk called Embrace the Backend, 
where I started from a really complex view SPA and I broke it down like every step going back to a more standard way of doing things. And mm-hmm. along the way, like drawing all the lines where all the communication happens and all the code you need to write and how it just kind of disappears as you go back to a more traditional approach. And I hit on all yeah. the things like testing is now you can unit test these interactions and, and it's wicked fast and you're in PHP and all these things. You can use one language and you know, whatever, you don't have to do all those extra API oriented things. So I've been at that value proposition and and basically it's taken a little bit, but now people get it. And uh so I think the the first I did a conference talk on it when I tagged version one. And this is when it went from people sort of tracking it as a cool experiment to it being like, whoa, you can actually create production apps with this. And you know, all those value propositions I was able to demonstrate, I TDD'd out like a I forget what it was. I TD'd out like a Twitter clone, which I guess Chris did too. Uh, so I TDD'd a Twitter clone and and even used Vue.js in it in conjunction, which is kind of weird, but uh, but showed how you can still get all the nice reactivity, but you can use all the server-side stuff. And really the thing that I've been thinking about most to hit home is writing things faster. Like at the end of the day, that's the thing that matters the most and is the thing I hear the most and I feel the most is like, whoa. You can do so much so fast. And that that really is the value proposition to me now. And it is to you as well. So yeah. I remember that being some of the sparkle, you know, that I saw around live view. It was like, oh my gosh, like I can just eliminate so many layers now. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. Connecting yeah. that dot, not have like it sort of hit me so far into this journey that I don't write controllers anymore. is like i don't ever write controllers and when i need to make a button do something i don't have to write a separate endpoint with its own api like contract and you know and it's like you can just so many questions you don't have to ask yourself anymore it's like you didn't even realize that you didn't need all that stuff and then it's like whoa a button can call a method why shouldn't it be that simple you know So we, we we talked about how how it differs from Phoenix Live View now, right? So he started from WebSockets, went uh, went back to uh, like RESTful uh, or HTTP uh, requests again. You know, were, were there any moments when you were building out LiveWire or continue to build out LiveWire where you you looked at Live View and you said, you know what, I could actually do this a little bit better than Live View? Interesting. So there's definitely some things I think. I think because of the Ajax switch, there are some benefits of LiveWire that LiveView doesn't have. And of course, vice versa. There's a lot um, that I look at longingly to LiveView, specifically all that crazy um, like diff tracking stuff that yeah. <laughs> Chris does. I did <laughs> some crazy. small version of that. But man, like that really, that is the holy grail to me. If I could achieve that in LiveWire, then all my dreams will have come true. But that's, that's a difficult <laughs> thing. Um, anyway. So, uh, one of the, the, I think one of the, I won't necessarily explicitly call it a benefit, but I'll say one of the fundamental add-ons that LiveWire has. Okay. The first thing is it's Vue.js inspired. Most of the directives and things I, I borrowed my mental models from Vue. So the big one being V model in Vue, where you can just two-way bind an input element to a piece of data. Where in LiveView, and stop, I'm actually, I don't deeply know LiveView, and I've never actually used it myself. I just read docs and watch stuff. So tell me that I'm wrong. But <laughs> LiveWire has, LiveWire can, has, of course, like wire click some method. You click it, and then it fires the method and has that. But state is kind of a first-party citizen, a first-class citizen, and you can wire model bind a piece of state to any input element, a select dropdown, a text input, whatever. 
and and that's it you don't in live view i think you have to like if you were to do that you'd be listening for like an input event or a change event on an input to update the value and then you would also have to echo out the value onto the tag so that when it updates it kind of completes that cycle is that right i use ecto change sets a lot do you know what ecto change sets are i don't Okay, so that's that's like uh, that's like Phoenix's way of um, representing a model, so if you will, okay. you know, in in a form. So this is all form okay. based. Like, there's a lot of helpers in Ecto, and uh, ch- chain sets would be like the the model itself, and Ecto would be the library mm-hmm. that you know that supports that. And okay. there's bindings between Phoenix and Ecto and chain sets and all that. And so what I I know that when when I change a form element. Um, that whole Ecto chain set gets back, uh, sent back to, um, to, to live view. Right. And, and that form object, uh, mm. I'll just call it that, gotcha. you know, is updated. It's, it tracks what's changed, okay. um, versus what the data was before when the right. form was started. Um, and you can, it'll send all those events back to the front end. And so there's, there's this way to, to bind, uh, a, a Phoenix form, you know, with, with live view. Uh, so it's, yeah, PHX dash change. And you still have to like intercept it in live view. So it's not like entirely automatic. It's sure. not like it just knows that that, that assign is there and it knows to update. You, you still have to wire some stuff up. Yeah. So what I'm hearing though is I think that live wire does a little bit more there to to like bind the two-way community is it two ways yeah it is okay that that's interesting so here's basically and this may be another fundamental difference in a live view sorry a live wire component is a class it's a php Mm -hmm. class that extends the live wire base live wire component that's all it is it has a render method that returns a view so it's kind of like um like react has a render method and that returns the actual blade view blades our templating engine and if you have a public property, like if you have public name, like it's just a public property name, and I'm also speaking PHP object orientation, and I know that Elixir is not an object-oriented language, so you'll have yeah. to either fill the users in and probably me too on the translations <laughs> and why this is very different. But so I'll have a public property. You could just add a public property name, set it to Caleb. And then in your, your view, you'd have an HTML tag like uh, input type text, wire model name and then mm-hmm. it's all bound the value yeah. of that will reflect that name if you change the name property anywhere in the back end it will reflect in the front end if you change it in the front end it will reflect in the back end gotcha yeah with live view you could almost get there but it's not quite as automatic it's not okay. object oriented so you can't like bind a property like that mm. um but the change set or the form okay. will send the change down the wire and you have to send those changes through a change set function again as a functional language. So you have to pipe, you know, stuff through. Right. And then it'll it'll reactively it's I think I think this is okay. I, I might get some flame here. I think this is one way. This okay. the, I don't think it's two ways. I think it's all one way. It'll come from the front end into the back end, yeah. live live view. It'll re-render, send those changes back to the front end. Right. Okay. Now there's some magic there to keep things from like clobbering each other mm-hmm. um but uh like, focus but state, think, like if it's focused don't clobber it type deal yeah, right yeah. Yeah, exactly so there's there's definitely some logic going on there but yeah um in my mind it's all uh reactive it's all one way you know changes it's not gotcha. two-way binding necessarily um that yep. said you can send events from the back uh, from the front end to the back end or and the other way around like you you can trigger events either way yeah okay 
And so I think, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And Livewire is essentially the same way. So maybe we should drop the words two-way and one-way because I think <laughs> depending on which frame of reference you look at this, it could appear two-way <laughs> or one-way. Um, but yeah, so it's Livewire is the same way in that sense. I think one of, so here's what I'm getting at. Live views JavaScript, at least last time I checked, is one JavaScript file. Yeah. It's a work of art. I like it's beautiful. <laughs> and I, I told Chris this and he he denies this. He's like, oh, it's horrible. I can't. He's like, I'm so nervous that you saw it. Um, but it is so minimal. Livewire's JavaScript front end is freaking massive. Like it's it does so much because I wanted I start with the API and making it like as simple as humanly possible. And then I I worry about the technical implementations after. So because of that, there's less complexity to use it, but more complexity to build it. So Liveware has a whole JavaScript, basically a, a whole front-end sort of framework where LiveView does some specific different differences. So here's one that I'm sort of getting at. I want you to tell me if I'm, I'm on or not. So in Livewire, let's say you have a, let's say you have a value, you have a select dropdown with um, three options, foo, bar, and baz. And you want to wire model bind this to a property called thing and set thing to foo. So thing equals foo in the back end on the initial render. Mm -hmm. When you load that initial page, I'm guessing that in live view, if you want, let's say it's set, sorry, let's say it's set to bar. If you want the select to be set to bar, you have to do templating logic to set that checked value on the right option for that initial render. Is that right? This is where the Ecto change set stuff comes in. Okay. So, so the, Ecto has some control over form elements. It knows what a select tag is and how to select its default state. Yep. Yeah. Got so it. in in my experience, it's already, if I send it the schema and I put it through the change set, there are no changes, but the value is already set to bar. The select box will already have that value checked. Perfect. Uh, okay. Yeah. That was my question because I think I at first with Livewire I didn't deal with any of that input fanciness, and yeah. and Liveview didn't as far as I knew either. Is like you just kind of figure out how to add that checked box or that checked attribute, and if you'd add the default value and stuff like that. Yeah. But then I realized like this is it. It's adds such an extra burden to developers, so I yeah. added all that stuff. So anyway, cool. So so Liveview has some <laughs> answers to these things as well. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, and not live view itself. I mean, it just has ways to work with like the existing Phoenix. That's more Phoenix and Ecto change oh, sets. Okay. Like, but live view, you know, is part of that project. So they, they, it works well with it. So before I was mentioning PHX dash change, that yeah. is an event handler for those forms that have those change sets, Ecto things, Phoenix, all that stuff is bound, right? right. So when change events happen level. on that form, Live view will send those changes back to the back end. It goes through the change set function again. It sees what the differences are and it sends the differences back up to the front ends with the different, you know, the new HTML, the new selection gotcha. and all that magic to like make sure that focus clobbering doesn't happen, that kind of stuff. Yep. Livewire does not deal with data in sets per se. So it's not like necessarily mapped to a form and its elements. It's, yeah, I got you. So it's like input, like this one input only. Yes, right. So, I mean, you could handle, um, yeah, yeah, you, you could sort of approach sort of things like that. But one of the big differences in the front end architecture that I am envious uh, of LiveView is using event delegation. So LiveView just listens at the component level for its inputs, you know, for or for these specific events like change and things like that. So then when you have a Phoenix change directive, it's actually listening on the root 
element for that change directive and then matching its target with whatever you had it on. Yeah. Where LiveWire, there are wildcard directives. So you could do wire colon foobar, and that's a custom event that gets Mm -hmm. dispatched from something. So because of that, there's no like wildcard listener in JavaScript. So you can't, I can't use event delegation. I have to walk the DOM and manually add event listeners to specific elements that are listening, which gives me tons of extra flexibility and extra power, but I can't just write like one little function that listens for, you know, that's when I look at Phoenix Live use code base, that's a, that's, this is a perfect example of a way where the code base is so much simpler because of a more constrained API um, yeah. that, that then, you know, people can mix and match where live view has live wire has specific stories for a lot of common uses and whatever. And, and yeah, so, so I'm hearing the trade-off a little bit then is live view is, is specific. It gives you the tools, but you, probably have to assemble it yourself a little bit um I definitely think there's more <laughs> assembly required yeah yes yeah, this yeah. is live view the ikea of, of furniture <laughs> which i, I love <laughs> when tools hold close to a sentiment like that like it you know it makes the tool more predictable and yeah. um and flexible in ways but requires more you know on the developer's end one of the other things i guess i was just curious about i know one of the benefits of WebSockets. i have the tls negotiation to have like my TCP connection to the server and it stays open. And then when I'm doing Ajax, every time an event happens, I'm having to renegotiate. And, and that's like a, a six-step exchange sure, uh, with the server. So yep. I'm, I'm just curious like what, uh, what your perspective there has been with that. Okay. So two things I would want to hit. Um, let's start with slowness. Ajax is slower than WebSockets because it's exactly like you just described. So there, there's two two big cons there. There's the speed, and then there's the one-way, the direction. So on the speed, one of the big differences between LiveView and LiveWire that I wanted to mention is, and this is a total pro and con, is that because the slowness is a constraint, I've had to, unless I want to write a framework that makes people's apps really slow, um, I, I had to implement or add optimistic UI APIs, basically. So in template directives and things. So there's wire dot loading, or there's wire colon loading, which you can add to any element. And it will then show, take it from a display none to a display block while a request is out. And there's lots, you can wire loading a class to add classes or multiple or remove them or add directives. And so there's a whole loading system to hook into that loading state and target specific actions, um, loading there's, there's dirty states. So while you're typing, if some, if data is dirty and hasn't been sent and come back from the backend, you can hook into a dirty state and it's all a JavaScript based API. So it's reactive and fast, um, prefetching we have. So if you like add any, if you do like wire click toggle thing. Instead of wire click toggle thing, you can do wire prefetch toggle thing. And then if you hover your mouse over it, it's already doing the Ajax request so that when you click, it's queued up that response in the background. And when you click, it'll just bam, it'll just show it. Mm-hmm. So those are those are things that I've done in LiveWire to sort of make it more of an optimistic experience because I don't have a fast WebSocket connection that can make, you know, a snake game or anything like that, you know? <laughs> um, so that that's the first, the speed constraint. And that's why the JavaScript is so much more robust is because I've had to implement all these optimistic UI handles to make it an actually good experience. And it has a different, okay, we'll get to that. We'll get to Alpine in a second. So then the other thing, the one-way, two-way thing, 
Um, so Ajax is one way. So if you wanted to trigger uh, something from the ser server, truly trigger it, meaning you know, the user is just sitting on a page and someone else changes something in another country and their page updates or it's a chat app or something like that. So there is polling. There's wire colon poll. You can add it to any element. You can specify the interval that it'll poll and it'll just refresh by default or you can call an action in wire poll. So that's that's something if you wanted to, that's a really simple way to get reactivity. But of course, at the cost of all these unnecessary requests. The story for truly server-sent events for Livewire is Laravel has Echo. It's, a, it's like an add-on to Laravel. It's first party, and it uses Pusher or any WebSocket driver, but Pusher is the one that it supports you know, out of the box. And so it hooks into, I can hook into Echo. So Livewire has Echo support. You can very easily say, like, call this action when this Echo event is fired. So Livewire um, will basically hear from Pusher in JavaScript that some event happened, and then it'll do another round trip, be like, do the round trip with this information. So it sort of appears as if there's a long running instance, but there's not. It's listening to Pusher or WebSockets as a separate thing. One thing I've toyed with that I would love to do in the future is use server sent events to, you know, just keep an open connection to a server and use server sent events as a way of, you know, not needing to pay for infrastructure like Pusher. But we ha I haven't really run into the problem of data changing and race condition-y type stuff at all, actually. The problems that I've run into are when you want let's see, like if you want a toaster notification to come in when something happens, or if you're building a chat app, or if there's like a donation stream when new donations come in, something like that. And my advice is like wire pull if you can get away with it. And then if not, use pusher echo or something like that. That's cool. Uh, so one of the things I just kind of want to point out with that is, you know, even with some of the like, you know, not having necessarily web sockets as like a first class built in thing, there's still you're still getting a lot of business value. I think one of the things we've struggled with in the Elixir community, and I still see this, is people kind of don't get live view. Like they don't get like, why would I want to mm. do that? And like, there's just so much business value there. And I think we're, we still have the same, you know, so I appreciate that you're fighting the good fight of taking the message to the people. Yeah. Like there's <laughs> business value with this model. <laughs> like insane. It is, it is, uh, it really is not to be underestimated how having it all sort of yeah it's it's even like where do you even start but i get i get messages all the time people who are now able to maintain you know a full app themselves or just a two-person team and how fast you can move and create something like ah yeah so that is def and testing of course and robustness whatever all that stuff yeah yep so with that discussion you started to mention some of the front end stuff that you had to do yeah. And like you mentioned Alpine and Alpine JS, maybe you can just kind of give us a little bit of an intro to what that is and how you got started, where that came from. Yeah. So it, it's all born out of the, the conversation we just had of Ajax is slower than WebSockets. So, okay, that's fine for, let's say you have a data table and somebody, there's pagination on it or something. You expect it, even if you're using Vue.js, you're going to hit the server for JSON, you know? So it's no different with Livewire. You would still hit the server. You would that latency would be expected. But in Vue, if you're toggling um, modal or something, you expect that to happen right away. If you're toggling a dropdown, let's just say toggling for now. Those basic type show hide operations. Now you're using AJAX for it, and all of a sudden everything just feels like 150 milliseconds slower than if you were using Vue.js or React. Mm -hmm. um, so this this that's been on my mind since the beginning. Was one of one of the big hangups was was that. And so I had considered 
what if LiveWire... So LiveWire has component state in the back end. There's the class that has a component. LiveWire component has state. What if I had some separate concept of front-end state? So every LiveWire component has front-end state. And, you know, LiveWire already has, like, DOM diffing and walking and all this stuff in the front-end. I could use all that to basically build my own kind of front-end-y thing. And I'd, any way I spun it, it just seemed too confusing. And I just sort of realized at one point what I want, it took a while to actually land on what I want, but what I want is Vue.js's API. So I want like VF, VShow, VModel, V4, stuff like that. I want Vue's API. I don't want to have to have .view files. I don't want to have to have a build step. I don't want it to do its own rendering thing. Like I don't want it to have its own virtual DOM that conflicts with live wires. So I want it to be like the most minimal version of view, like just its templating engine. And, and even like the data, I want that to live in the DOM. I want it all to kind of live in the DOM, very similar to stimulus in that sort of way. And uh, yeah, so I had the vision for it and I decided to, from the beginning, to completely write it as a separate project, name it separately, brand it separately, build it separately, and just use um, use it within Livewire, offer it as like a sort of a companion tool that, you know, I built them. To me, they're the same. It's all part of the way I want to build an app. But I thought if I build it this way, this is honestly insanely valuable out of this context, like you know, it's pretty easy to see where, how you would use it to replace jQuery in a lot of ways and in things like not even in a SaaS app, just in a, any app, any, um, whatever. So yeah, so I, I decided to brand it separately and I thought, and other communities secretly, maybe Elixir would be able to use it as well. Because I think the thing that I knew in my head is like, I feel like I'm on this parallel journey with something like Live View or on this parallel journey. And there's other tools sort of, but us two specifically that I see. And we're solving all these common problems. Like I, we did file uploads and Chris did file uploads and we compared notes on our file uploads. It's the exact same thing. Like literally the exact same way he did it. We did it like just, you know, it's kind of crazy that in a vacuum, these things happen so similarly. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could start sharing more things and breaking, breaking parts of this, this experience into like modules and using them across paradigms because there's so much shared specifically on the front end and that's where alpine comes in so so this is where i got introduced to you as i was using live view and i had some similar problem where i needed to show or hide state a, a modal you know for example or yeah. a drop down yeah and i i couldn't I, I couldn't get it in my head that that the right way to do it was via you know the back end like, yeah that seemed very trivial and not the right domain for that yeah. so it seemed like the right place was in the front end for that yep and um, I found Alpine JS that way. And specifically, there was an issue on Live View. Somebody had said, uh, it's like, hey, I was using Live View and I was using Alpine JS. Everything was working great. And now with this new release, it doesn't work. What the heck happened, man? And a couple of comments later, you appear and you said, we can definitely make this work. This is how you do it. Yeah. Uh, Chris ends up closing the, the issue and uh, w- with a fix, of course. And uh, I'm still a happy uh, Alpine JS user, by, you know, myself with all my almost all my live view apps actually use Alpine JS oh, no because way. it's just a, yeah, it's just a, such an Sweet. easy way to get that cool. stuff to work. So I mentioned that because. I saw you on a live view issue and you comment on it. You seem to be actively engaged, you know, in keeping it working well with, uh, with Phoenix and, and live view. So with you, so knee deep in, in your ecosystems that you've, you've created, 
What keeps you engaged with LiveView? I look up to LiveView for starters. LiveView is like the grand poobah that created this whole thing. <laughs> and uh, I mean, just kind of seeing that it was used in LiveView was thrilling to me. And then seeing that, uh, I don't know. So I just jumped at, I, it was sort of, this was really my first touch point with the LiveView community, period. Like, and Chris, period. That comment on that issue. And, and I'm like, hey, everybody, I know you think that this is just another JavaScript framework that doesn't fit the paradigm, but seriously, listen to me. <laughs> it works. Like I built it to work with MorphDOM, the thing that you use and say it can't work with, you know? So I was like, so chomping at the bit to be like, no, 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 this can work. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so, and then I, we, Chris and I paired on it and, um, that's when he learned about really the whole liveware thing and, alpine and and all those and me too about you know whatever and those similarities so so yeah that i guess i'm interested in in supporting it because i see it exactly like you said before and that's why i'm so excited to talk to you guys because you get it you get the value proposition you get my life's work <laughs> like this is the <laughs> thing that just struck me like even before i saw live view and before i started liveware this is like i saw it as the truth from on high and it and it's it's like rebellious it's controversial it is not the wave of the future if you look at you know dev 2 articles and things <laughs> and you get it and so it it just um that is why i i you're it's we're family <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like any Thing that we can do to make this paradigm to show the power of it because we see it because we knew that i'm speaking i'm saying we i see the power because i saw it like from the old days you know like you remember the simplicity and you combine that with the wave of the future and this is such a freaking powerful stack it's a hard thing to communicate to people who who see view and react as as the technically advanced things and whatever we're doing is like old backend developers who, you know, are trying to redeem the backend. Like, no, like we can do things that can be futuristic and LiveView is doing that. And I hope Alpine is doing that. And I want us all to use all the stuff and get better, you know? So, so you've done amazing work with LiveWire and you've done an incredible job with, with Alpine JS. You know, I, I use it in all my live, my live view, uh, work, like I said. And, uh, it's, it's the perfect companion for some of that simple front end state, like you mentioned. Um, in fact, I think one of our next, uh, uh, interview or uh, interview is in the coming weeks is going to be about how Alpine JS and live view can work. So stay nice. tuned for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's got to make me wonder, like you said a lot of great things about live view. You've been inspired by it, obviously. I'm just curious, like, what would it take for you to have a an Elixir live view project? Like, what what would it take you for for you to be a, an Elixir developer? What you know, what's been that that barrier for for you if there has been a barrier? That's a really good question. There's probably a few answers, but the honest one is that it just seems too hard. <laughs> like, I feel like honestly, like, okay, one, I'd have to get all the whole setup working on my machine. <laughs> which I'm sure is a lot easier than it seems in my mind. But like, I come from like lamp stack stuff, you know, like PHP is like on every MacBook, you know, to get like an Erlang VM and, and everything is just a little, you'd think I would have done it by now. It's kind of ridiculous that I haven't, but I should. And when I look at Elixir, it's a little bewildering to me. So I'd really have to, I don't know, I'd have to stretch my muscles. And I... I should. I don't think I have any good excuse. I think one of my one, well, this is not even that true. In some weird, sick way, 
I pride myself on being such a dumb developer because it forces me to make tools that are simple enough for other dumb developers. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, if I start doing like advanced things that real developers who use like functional languages do, then I'm going to start making tools that that simple people like me can't use. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a weird, weird answer. But I, the real answer is I should freaking do it. Why am I not doing it? I don't know. But that's that's kind of a, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I came from an object-oriented programming background. Like, that's kind of where I started programming. You know, other than, like, I guess my very first stuff was, like, basic, which was just procedural. Yeah. But then it was like, oh, oh. And so I know, like, making that jump to functional, there's a mind bend. And it can be a little bit of a struggle. And I think other people out there, to you, dear listener out there, who may be, like, you know, investigating and playing with Elixir, uh, it can be a little bit of a challenge. I just want to invite anyone out there who's interested uh, I, I do have on thinkingelixir.com, I have a free pattern matching course. And because pattern matching is like when I first came to Elixir and I mm. started looking at Elixir code, I was like, I don't, I don't even know how to mentally parse this. I don't know what's yeah. going on. Like this is not a function declaration that I've ever seen. Mm. So I take people through like the basic data types and how they pattern match. And then once you kind of get your head around pattern matching, you're like, dang, I want this everywhere. I want this in my JavaScript. I want this everywhere. For you, dear listener, if you consider yourself in that space, please check it out. It's free. I just want people to get it. Sweet. Dear listener and me, I'll definitely check that out. I love the functional paradigm within OO. Like I've sort of, I do a lot of like, like instead of imperatively foreaching through stuff, like, you know, trans like filters and maps and reducers and stuff like that. But, and even I've, you know, I've even done a little bit of recursion, you know, in places where I didn't have to. <laughs> and I, I did see, I don't know if this was in the Elixir docs or something, but like, like, wait, there's no loops in Elixir? Why is that? And then I just sort of witnessed and, you know, could wrap my head around how you can have a method that like accepts an argument and then the same method that doesn't because the parameter difference, yeah. it'll just stop looping and hit the end when the parameters change, which is baller. I'm like, that's so cool. So I've seen that stuff and I'm super fascinated by it. I just haven't made the leap to yeah. really going into it, you know? Just a, as a follow-up with that, um, for you, dear listener, I have a separate course called Code Flow where I talk about how pattern matching affects the way we write control flow code like loops because yeah you don't have a for loop where you can modify the counter like the the end right. you know yep. like you can't modify that because it's immutable so like well there's a different ways we can loop and so go through all of that is there anything else you want to mention about alpine js before we switch topics this might be a message to anybody who's a contributor to phoenix live view or anybody even in the community live wire in version two i just released version two like a month ago or something I'm using Alpine the next level, and I would love it if other communities could do that as well, but it's deeper integration. So things like transitions, working sort of like MorphDOM, if it'll be crawling and be like, wait, something's about to transition. Hey, I'll skip that and let it transition. Things like that, that are a little bit deeper than the live view integration that exists right now, I'm guessing. It's all in the live wire source code, and it's anybody who knows MorphDOM should be able to parse it sort of. But there's some things like, here's one little thing that Livewire has that has been kind of a game changer and I'm pumped about. Most people, this is the thing most people are most pumped about for version two of Livewire is a feature called Entangle. Basically, you can entangle a piece of Alpine state with a piece of Livewire state. 
So when one changes, the other changes when one changes. And it's like a two-way watcher. There's watchers on both data sets. And so that's all under the hood. It's just, you just entangle a thing. It's a little syntax. It's very nice. And now you can have a truly optimistic UI with a backend that lazily updates, or you can defer updating to like a meaningful action. It'll send that update along with it. So you can do really, really cool things. Like now you can have your modal in Alpine, but actually store the state in LiveView. You could with LiveView, I'll say LiveView, assuming that this is possible to do in LiveView, you could change some data and your Alpine component would reflect that change. And so of course, transitions would work really well. You could animate things in and out, and then you could optimistically change front-end data and have that data queued up in the back end and use it. So that has become, that was the holy grail of Alpine integration for LiveWire, that single feature. Yeah. So I would love to see that used in other communities. So this is my pitch to the LiveView community. It's like, hey, uh, everybody bug Chris to get on a call with me (laughs) and show him this stuff. And then we can work on getting it available for LiveView, which would be totally awesome. That's cool. I just want to make sure that that people understand where you're positioning AlpineJS what kind of problem hmm. they would recognize and say, ah, I have this problem. I know AlpineJS is a good fit for that. So within the context of a live view app, I'll add that constraint. The decision of when to use Alpine for something, and this it's different for LiveWire because LiveWire isn't as fast as LiveView. There's no WebSocket. So it's probably a little bit different. But my guiding principle has been this thought experiment. If I were writing, a, if I were writing this in Vue.js, would I be sending an Ajax request from this action? If the answer is no, I will then look at what's involved in in using Alpine for it. Like then that's my first sort of Boolean, you know, that's the first fork in the flow. Okay, if I were writing Vue and I I would normally make an Ajax request and grab some JSON, that's something I should do with LiveWire. If I'm not, so let's say in Vue, if if I'm making a Twitter clone and as you're typing the um, length of the tweet, you know, uh, and the color of the number, the character count is changing as you approach 100 and whatever. And yeah, so that was that something I would do in view sending an Ajax request? Definitely not. So then I would be like, well, I think that's an Alpine thing. If the, if the requests feel superfluous, if they feel a uh, hollow or unnecessary, that has been my guiding light to reach for Alpine. And I'll also say if it's heavy templating, people push Alpine farther than I think they should sometimes. Like they'll use X4 in Alpine because you can do for loops and stuff like in templates. And I would be like no just you that like that's a back-end template thing if you're going to do like real changes to the templating you do that in the back end but yeah so that i guess think that's the best but it's great for widgets and doodads and actually one thing it's fantastic for that has become come out of nowhere is a really good go between between livewire and third-party javascript libraries like a date picker like pick a day if you try to implement that stuff raw you know you and you know, like Alpine is a great way to like initialize pick a day, listen for pick a day specific event, and then fire something normalized to LiveWire to update the data so that you can have kind of a standard. That's really a lot of how I use it is I make these sub template, sub backend template components. We have blade components. I don't know what kind of include thing you have in the backend, but uh, something like that for all the different inputs. And inside those inputs, there's Alpine that wraps up some third party library so that when I'm writing live wire, I don't have to really think about all that stuff. I just use it as if it were an input type text, you know? Nice. There's a topic we have to talk about, which is you and your open source and sustainability you know, we mentioned at the top, but you know, you wrote very publicly 
this is something that you wanted to start working on and you, you started to focus on going through GitHub sponsorships. So maybe you could kind of just share a little bit about that story and what that, that was like for you. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the abridged version is I, um, every company I've been at, I'm, I last for two years and then I'm, I'm really like, get me out of here kind of thing. And I was feeling that way and I made the leap, but I, so I, it's a tough thing to say, I'm, I'm just going to go out on my own. So it was easier for me to say, I'm going to go on a sabbatical, whatever that means. I'll read books, I'll climb mountains. And none of that <laughs> happened. I saw a tweet and I started writing more code <laughs> like the next day. But I, I'm pretty into like, uh, financial independence stuff, like the fire community, stuff like that. So I had already kind of, um, amassed enough money to not have to work for a bit. So I just kept working on this thing that I loved and built this really small, dedicated community and people wanted to support me with like Patreon sponsorships and stuff. But I just felt like it'd just be peanuts. Like if you buy me a coffee, I'm going to have like, I don't know, I'll have like 50 bucks a month for this project. And that's, I don't know. It just didn't, it like, I'd rather have the goodwill of just giving it to you than that. So that lasted for a long time. Then I started doing little contracting work, uh, like mentorships and stuff to, to supplement my income. And then about a year in, in December, I signed up for GitHub sponsors and because enough people had asked me and I thought, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll take your money that, you know? And so I had some small income and then a big shift happened. I built a little package, a little tool for myself. It's called sushi for Laravel, nothing to do with Livewire. People were really into it and they said, open source it. And I'm like, I need another open source project. Like I need whatever, something I don't need. And, (laughs) and I said, well, how about this? If you sponsor me, I'll give you access to this. And then after X number of sponsors, I'll release it to the world. Sort of like Kickstarter kind of thing. And it worked really well. I got up to, I, I set the number at 75 sponsors and I made it there in like two days. And then I open sourced it and it felt really good for a lot of reasons. And I called it Sponsorware and I wrote a blog post and we came up with it on my podcast. My coworker, Daniel, basically came up with it. I'm taking credit. Um, no plans to merge, by the way. Maybe throw that in the show notes at some point. That's our podcast. So we came up with that. And basically, I increased my salary by like 11k in two days. And so I was like, whoa. So then I had another idea. And this is where everything fully, fully changed. I I knew that the next step for Liveware was educating people, like people needed educational content on it. I had been focusing on making it good is for a long time. But there was so much communication to be done. Um, so I thought oh, I'll make a course, you know, I knew I thought that I would make a course. Um, but anyway, kind of in a last minute thing, I decided I'm just going to put out screencasts for free. Then I'm going to start charging. Then I'm going to make some exclusive to sponsors only. And I just thought, okay, well, GitHub sponsors, if they log in with GitHub, I can just pull the API and see if they're a sponsor. That's so easy. And I can use Livewire to do all of this and it'd be like cake. I can and do like a little like if statement in the blade template. If you're a sponsor, show video. If not, show a link to my sponsors page. And that thing is what took me from whatever, like 15 grand a year to like a hundred grand and not that long. And, uh, so then I was sustainable and then it's kept growing and I'm still building on it. And I'm almost to the point where I can bring someone else on and help with the overwhelming burden of maintenance. So it's meant the world and has changed my life. And I am now like, you know, making more than I was at any other company and feel like I can start, you know, bringing on other help and basically funding the project as a company almost, you know? So, so that's, I guess that's not as abridged as I said it would be, but that's the story. That's a great story because I I know there's a lot of people just in open source for a long time who've been trying to figure out how can I make this sustainable? How can I 
make this sort I don't just burn out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, because you do have that, you know, you're sitting there, you're trying to unwind and you're get a notification. There's a pull request or a bug report on your open source thing. And you're yeah. like, Ugh. you start resenting it. There's always the feeling in, in the pit of your stomach that the next issue that comes in says, everyone's apps are broken. You've ruined the internet. And of course there's, you know, issues is like, oh, it was described. Oh, I'm reading this book. It's actually a really good book. I recommend it. Working in public. I don't know if you guys heard of this. It's a book on open source. It's on GitHub. It's basically like a book on how to be a GitHub maintainer and the experience. It's really interesting. And there's this parallel they draw to like, Christmas lights, like in a suburban American neighborhood, you have Christmas lights in people's houses at Christmas time, and you're driving by, and you, you know, you love to see them. So you get like, hey, dad, like, let's go drive by and see the Christmas lights. But then one year, the Smiths don't have their Christmas lights out. What do you do? And if this is open, they're talking about the commons and open source and the parallels. And there isn't a massive line in front of the house banging on the door yelling at them to bring them back or to bring back the surfing santa you know it's like but that's open source it's just this unlimited pool of people making demands all the time and in its worst form but anyway yes the burden is heavy and uh and it is there are pros and cons to the the life of a maintainer and github sponsors has allowed me to do it and i hope more people can do that and the key to it all for anybody listening that wants to do it is you have to provide value GitHub sponsors can just be something that you that you leave as an open ended like show appreciation for the work I do, but uh, I I believed in that that hope and it, it's not the reality. People need value, so even if it's you know a small open source project that you make exclusive, or sending stickers, I don't know stuff like that. But even that, I wouldn't send stickers. It's a really tough thing, but I once I learned that you have to treat it like a business and you have to provide value and a prompting for somebody to hit that subscribe button. Then once they're in, I think some of that sentiment comes in where they're like, "Well, no, I'm here. Ha- I'm I'm here for the thing I came here for, but I'm also here to support the project." Mm-hmm. So that's an important difference. I think the mistake that most people make, and once I learned to not do that, then it took off. Yeah. I am curious just as to your thoughts, how much you think, like the PHP community is much larger than the Elixir community, right? Elixir is younger and it just hasn't been around as long. I wonder how much you think just because the size of the community is larger that that how much of a factor that's played for you and your success. I don't think it's a huge factor. I think it's partially. So Laravel is a tiny, tiny subset of the PHP community. And then, so Liveware is exclusive to Laravel. It works with no other PHP framework. Symfony is like equally as pop popular as Laravel, maybe less, but not, you know, not by a wide margin. There's Cake PHP, there's WordPress, there's all that other stuff. So Livewire is a small tool within the Laravel community, within the PHP community. So it's a subset of a subset. You know, there's still a lot of people, but it's uh it's definitely something that I don't think I don't think that the size of the community has a ton to do with it. Part of it is that I have an audience. Like, that's a big part of it, is that I had already been blogging and been, you know, doing conference talks and stuff and building my Twitter audience and my email newsletter for a long time. And that's probably a huge part of it that I've, there's a lot of people who've been following me for years and are like, oh, this is great. This is the obvious next thing to do. So I think that's probably the number one thing is my audience size, not the size of the PHP community. Although I'm sure that plays some role. I don't think somebody in the Elixir community would not be able to do this. I think that they would. And I think that they could, you know, I think they could. Well, I think that's a great encouragement for anyone who's wanting to maybe explore that as a as an avenue for a career path or or even just something they want to 
try and tackle. So thank you for sharing about your journey and uh, what you've learned along the way. Yeah, thanks for asking. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have. Is there anything else you want to mention or, or make plugs for? Like you mentioned, you have a podcast called No Plans to Merge, which we have a link to that in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, um, I have two podcasts, the No Plans to Merge, which is great. My buddy Daniel and I have been doing it forever. And you could go back and you could listen to years before we started even building Livewire. Like, and, and we've talked about everything along the way in our developer journeys. It started as a podcast we did a 20% time at the agency we worked at. So there's a lot of good stuff in there in the annals of No Plans to Merge. We still record like once a week or once every two weeks. And that's a great time. Um, but Building Livewire is a podcast I started just to kind of journal my experience building Livewire. They're 10-minute episodes. And you can see them on the Livewire docs. There's a podcast section. And it's very intimate. And it's uh, a lot of times it's not Livewire related. Um, and that's one of my favorite platforms to really communicate. So if you're in, into hearing me go on about things, you know, Building Livewire is the way to do that. And uh, Twitter I'm on. And Livewire is what I build in Alpine. So that's those are my things. Oh, and actually, I did make a course, Make VS Code Awesome. <laughs> so go to makevscodeawesome.com if you use VS Code, and maybe you'll dig some of the stuff there. That's like a ebook slash video series and whatever. Okay. So if someone is wanting to follow you online or get in touch with you, what is the best way they should do that? Twitter, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Caleb, for coming on and talking with us. I really appreciate you taking the time. And also just kind of, I, I do appreciate that there is cross-pollination between our communities. And there is a lot that we share in common with partly is the trying to help other people see the business value of a different way of thinking about developing apps. Yep. I love it. And I agree. And I hope that cross-pollination only grows. And this has been amazing. Super glad to talk to people who get it. It's just a good experience. So not having to, you know, build up a whole mountain of knowledge to get to the business value for people. It's like you just understand it. So thanks a ton for having me on. Loved it. Well, thank you for joining us and listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir. Uh-huh.